You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri, that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. Oscar de la Renta. I don't know if you've heard of this clothing brand or not, but it is celebrated as one of the most expensive clothing lines in the world. I didn't know this until I started researching it. So, for example, I looked up what some pajamas might cost. We call them PJs at the house. So what, what would some PJs cost? You know, something you might get from Walmart for 10 or 15 bucks or so, you know. If you're even smarter and you go to Cross Lines or a thrift store and buy them there, you know, it's a, it's a dollar or two or a garage sale. Well, from Oscar de la Renta, if you were to order some PJs, it would cost you anywhere from $350 to $600. If, ladies, you were to purchase a cocktail dress from Oscar de la Renta, uh, you could spend anywhere from on the low end of $2,700 to on the high end of $7,000. And this is without any custom stitching or adjustments. Now, compare this to some of those online clothing retailers out there. You can get cocktail dresses from, for even like 3 to 10 bucks. I saw somewhere they were advertising prom dresses for $10, plus shipping, of course. Now, one thing that we can all agree on, regardless of how much we spend on clothing or should spend on clothing and everything in between, is that clothing is necessary. Am I right? (laughs) Thank you, Lord, for clothing in a fallen world. (laughs) Now, clothing can vary significantly, though, can't it, as far as what forms it takes. So, Clothing for working outside versus clothing for working in a hospital or clothing for going to a wedding or a funeral versus clothing to go to Walmart, which, you know, us being up here for two years, I'm realizing that that's pretty much standard your PJs uh, to go to Walmart in. So, um, uh, you know, PJs have a lot more functions and versatile options uh, here in in Missouri we've found than than what we found in Northwest Arkansas. Uh, And so, and that's great. I love that people are cool with that, that they're comfortable going to Walmart in their PJs. But clothing can vary lots of different ways and lots of different places, you know, from different cultures and places. Clothing means things. It, it, can, it can recognize your family heritage or traditions. It can, it can mean what family clan or tribe you came from. Uh, it can be celebratory. It can, it can provide and do all these things. All these variations are the forms of clothing. The function of clothing is to cover our bodies, right? And or protect our bodies. Now, in my heart, in my heart today, I am actually dressed more like this. Just so you know, there might be a game on this afternoon. Now, you might have also noticed that Khalif dressed his heart today and wore his eagle's paraphernalia. Now, uh, Khalif and I love each other, regardless of the game's outcome, and, and I'm not worried about that, but it's certainly fun. I sent this text to him this morning first thing and said, good morning. <laughs> and we went back and forth a little bit after that. <laughs> but regardless of why you're wearing clothing or what it's for or different things, clothing has a function of covering and or protecting our body. 
and then it takes on multiple various forms. The church also has similar functions. There's a practical functions that God has mandated through his word that the church should do. And then there are various forms that the church might go about accomplishing those functions depending on that church's culture, community, uh, budget, um, size of church. All of those things can make that look different. So those things, how the church accomplishes the function of are the forms. The functions being what God has mandated for the church to accomplish. So this morning, we're going to look at those. We're going to look at those specific forms of what the local church is supposed to do, what we do here at New Life Church, as well as what God has mandated for the church to accomplish, and how we go about doing that. And so if you remember last week, we looked at what the definition of the church is and why it exists, and we looked at those three questions that consultants might ask an organization or a business if they were to come in and do some evaluations to help them achieve new or different goals of who are you as a company or organization, where are you going as a company or organization, how will you get there? And we're kind of walking those same questions out here about the church. Who is the church? And we looked at that last week. Where is the church going? Where does God want his church to go? Globally as well as locally. And then how will his global church get there? How will we as New Life Church get there? So our definition that we looked at last week as far as what the church is, the definition that we've embraced here of describing church, we broke it down into three bite-sized chunks, but that definition is a group of imperfect people saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ who come together in covenantal community under Christ to encourage and inspire one another to love God, love others, and make disciples of Jesus Christ. Church is a group of imperfect people. We're imperfect people. We still have a flesh, sin nature inside us. But in a church, that group of people is saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so when God looks at this group of imperfect people, he sees the blood of Christ. He sees the cross. And he does not see our sins. He sees his son standing in our place. And we come together in covenantal community under Christ. And remember how we talked about that's countercultural to everything around us. It's all about us as the individual. It's all about making our own way. And me being me and you being you and all of these things. And that's not at all what scripture teaches us. But how we should act as believers. It's about coming together. Multiple scripture references. You can go back and listen to last week's sermon. It'll be online in here in a few days. But multiple scriptural references where, where the church is described as a body and it's body parts. And we use that silly illustration of how, what if you got up one day to go about your day and your hand decided to stay in bed? And what that would be like trying to do your day all of a sudden without your left hand or your right foot or whatever. You could probably accomplish the things for that day, but it would sure be a lot more trying, a lot more difficult and take a lot more time. And that's what it's like when we aren't in covenantal community with each other, united under Christ. It's churches far more than just two or more believers gathering together. God says he'll be in their presence, absolutely. But the church and what we know it is bigger and broader than that. 
And then the last part of that definition we look at, to encourage and inspire one another to live out the GC squared life. And that's the great commandment. The first part of the GC, the second part of the GC is the great commission. So we just simplify it with a catchy phrase, if you will, around here. The GC squared life, the great commandment and the great commission. We also talked about what a church is not. It's to make sure we're all on the same page and understands the definition. A church is not unbiblical. Anything other than what Scripture says. A church cannot and should not be. They should not be called a church if they're anything other than what Scripture says. Or gospel plus or gospel minus. We've talked about that quite a bit here the last couple of years. Anything added to the gospel to be saved or taken away from the gospel of Jesus Christ to be saved. A church should not be exclusive. It not, should be an us versus them mentality. It shouldn't be legalistic in that you know, it's, hey, uh, you got to work your way and do these things. And therefore, if you're not, we're better than you. Uh, it's not in competition with each other. So as we look at other churches in our community and area, we're not in competition with them. We should be locked arm in arm with them, accomplishing the functions of the church in this community and area. A church should not also be self-centered. And again, if you missed last week's sermon, the, the what is the church and the Where's the church going, so to speak? Uh, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that. And just so you know, these last week's sermon and this week's sermon are kind of 50,000-foot views of what we'll be going through in our membership class that we'll be offering coming up. So I know many of you will be grandfathered into that, and that's partly why we felt like the need to teach on this. Some of you have been here much longer than me. <laughs> and I don't know that I'm even technically a member. I've not gone through a class or signed anything for it. I, I assume I am, but, you know, uh, I'll be teaching a class on it. Does that count? But anyways, so we do have that coming up if you have not committed to. And it's not about, oh, we're going to be our holy huddle and join our gang thing. It's going to be, hey, this is what we understand the church to be, and this is what we believe. And we're going to ask you to be a part of this. We want you to be a part of this if God leads you here. So then let's dive in, exploring that question of how will we get there, that part of the definition, the, the biblically mandated functions of the church as well as the forms that the local church, our local faith family, New Life Church will use to accomplish those functions as well as what God wants for the global church. And we're going to center in on Acts chapter 2 this morning. It's going to be the text that we're going to base this off of. Acts chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 42. If you don't mind, would you stand with me while I read our passage this morning just to give honor to God's word? If you are unable to stand today, that's fine. No problem there. Acts 2, starting in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as they had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. Thank you. So some things that should immediately jump out 
of this text to us as we look at it. And I'm, I'm kind of giving you all the notes you might need in my slides today. So don't fall asleep or I'll never do it again. But I just want you to track with me as we walk through this. So first of all, they were devoted. They, they were devoted to the teaching they taught about Christ Looking, and if you look back in Acts in the context of chapter 1 and chapter 2, we see Peter's sermon, we see other things. They were devoted to the teaching about Christ. They fellowshiped with one another. They hung out. And it was more than just hanging out and watching a game together. They were actually, fellowshipping there is, is deeper than that. It's being in each other's lives. It's caring deeply and sincerely about what's going on in each other's lives. Keep caring deeply and sincerely about you fulfilling the calling that God has given you in your life. To love him, to love others, to make disciples. All of the commandments can be boiled down into that great commandment and the great commission. They ate together. I really like that part, don't you? We're going to practice that today in both ways, not only with our meal after, but we're also going to observe communion. They prayed together. If you read Acts 1 and 2, the very first thing that this group of believers did after Christ descended is they waited for him to send the Holy Spirit and they prayed. They were united together in prayer. It talks about that over and over and over. They worshiped together. And that's the part where they were filled with awe. That's where I'm getting that from. That filled with awe is in response to God and his character and what he's done and who he is. They had unity together. They were unified in purpose and mission and their love for Christ and pursuing him. And they were generous. They were generous with each other. I recently heard one one person talking on the topic of stewardship. He's like, what investment advisor? Here you go, Andy. Listen up on this one. What investment advisor wouldn't love to keep 90% of their client's money? Sign me up for that job, right? You know, most of the time it's a couple of percent or 5% or whatever. God's like, it's all my money. You get to keep 90. 10% is a rule of thumb. Give back. I was like, flipped my thinking. They were generous with each other. They committed to meeting to e- together. They were joyful and sincere and praised God out of the overflow of their joy. What else we should notice here is that God performed the signs and the wonders through the apostles. I believe that God still performs signs and wonders today. I think it's different than how he did in this church, specifically through the apostles and and how that looked. But God still absolutely performs signs and wonders. We've seen him perform miracles of healing in our church body over the last couple years with two babies that shouldn't be here but God has spared and healed with a young lady who broke her neck who should not be walking but who is and back to life pretty much a hundred percent normal we have seen God move and act in those ways and we see here that God added to their numbers the two points I want to say here on these two things that we should notice is God performed the signs and wonders not man not some stage show of healing ceremony or whatever, anything like. God did it. And the second thing is God added to their numbers. God grew them. The people were faithful in fulfilling the functions that he called for his church. That's what he asked of us. He'll add 
as we are faithful. Now, one other thing we should notice here is that we should take note that this first, gen- this first church was an example of that specific local congregation, how they were trying to go about accomplishing the functions of the church in their community and that time in history and where they were at. So we can't look at it and go, oh, well, we've got to have house church or, oh, we've got to meet together every single day of the week or, oh, you know, these are, this is the formula so that our church can be awesome. It's not like that. Those things that I highlighted were pulling out some of those functions of what they did. And the reason we know their functions is because we see other scriptures throughout the New Testament and even the Old Testament backing up what they did. So one more time, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page when I say the functions of the church. I mean what God has commanded and ordained for the global and local church to specifically practice and do. Okay, that is the function. That is the core foundation. And again, all of that can be boiled down to the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. And then when I'm talking about the forms of the church this morning, I mean the unique ways a local congregation may adapt to the culture or community around it in order to accomplish the God-ordained function. Okay? The other thing I want to do is I want us to make sure we keep the main thing the main thing. And that is Christ is the foundation and the head of the church. Period. Not me, not Tony, not Gary, not some other leader of some other church that has millions of members in it or whatever. It is Christ. Period. If any organization or group of people who claim to be a church is operating without the premise of Christ being the head and the foundation of it. They are not a church. Period. They have misnamed themselves. Now, join me as we're looking at these functions of global and local church according to God's word in the Bible. First off, prayer. Prayer is an integral, foundational part of it. Corporately, it's why we pray together when we're here together. It's why we should pray as individuals and with our families as we go home. It's why when we send out prayer requests, if you're on that list of emails, we want the body of Christ praying for each other. Prayer is foundational. One of the most I don't know how you want to label it, but one of the most amazing churches of this century, maybe it was into the last century, you can correct me on this, Dwayne, later if I'm wrong on my years, but Charles Spurgeon's church was so wildly successful, not because Charles Spurgeon was just the absolute best preacher of all times. Now, he was phenomenal to listen to, no doubt, if you've read some of his sermons, but because he had a group of people praying in the furnace room basement of that church week in, week out, almost 24-7. Prayer was the source and fuel of the effectiveness of that ministry. And that is my heart for us here. We have a prayer room to utilize that. That's why many times after services we offer you the chance to pray with somebody 
we, we ask for you to pray a lot prayer, prayer requests. We have a box in the foyer if you want it to be kept more confidentially, if you just want the elders only to pray about it. Uh, if you ever want the elders to pray over you, we would love to. We'll schedule a time, a meeting. We'll do it before or after church. We are honored to pray for you. It is not a burden. And at the same time, we want to be as intentional about praying that God would use this church to accomplish the mission that he's given it. That we would get to be participants in the functions of church in this community and the world beyond. We're getting to touch up to 250 to 300 missionaries worldwide through our giving to Brian Phillips and his family as he's an over-shepherd of that many missionaries. Did you know that? It gets me all excited thinking about we're getting to, in a small way, touch and influence so many parts of the world. So prayer. Prayer was modeled by Christ, his followers. It was commanded by God. There's lots of scripture references I can fill in the blanks there, and if you'd like them, I can give them to you in notes later on. They continually meet together. Okay, another function of the church, continually meeting together. We're not given a specific, you got to meet every day or once a week type thing here. In our culture, in our society, we've established it for most churches as Sunday mornings is that time. It's generally accepted a time that most people don't have to work. It's generally accepted as the time that most churches meet. In the future, just so you know, I think that's going to change a lot. I think there's going to be multiple other options and times during the week that people are going to meet for worship. Some already are. We came from a church that had a Saturday night congregation. My family and I did. There's nothing in Scripture that says it's got to be on Sunday. But you do need to continually meet together. The other thing, another function is the teaching and singing. Why do we sing? Why do we do sermons? Why do we teach? God asks us to. It's for edification of the body. It's for spiritual food. Not only is the accurate preaching of God's word edifying, so is singing. And we're going to talk about this more in the coming weeks as we get back into Colossians. But did you know that when we sing to God, out loud, not just in our hearts, and our neighbors hear us singing, it's not about our pitch or quality of voice or anything like that. When I stand in this congregation and I sing, or sometimes I move around the back and hear And I hear your voices lift up and singing to our Savior and God. The encouragement that that is. So as we sing to God, first and foremost, our voices out loud together collectively also can encourage and edify each other as we do this. This is why we do this. Fellowship, as we mentioned, again, to encourage and inspire each other. Help one another grow in our collective pursuit of living out the GC squared life, the great commandment and the great commission. Baptism. Celebrating baptism, witnessing baptism is a function of the church. Those are some of my favorite Sundays when we get to have a baptism and celebrate the commitment that a new young believer or an old believer is making to the body that I'm choosing to follow Christ. And I want everyone to see and know Communion as well, remembering the gospel of Jesus Christ, specifically his death on the cross, which completed the payment of our sin through rebellion. 
But our sin requires, but God paid for us. Another function of the church is having qualified biblical leadership. It's why you can't just have a couple of people meeting in a house with no clear, direct leadership. That's why that doesn't work. Scriptures talk plainly about there being qualified biblical leadership, and it's not about control, but it's about helping there be plurality in the leadership so it's not just one person's idea swaying the masses. There's more than one. It's why there are three of us elders. We're praying for God to bring more and provide more. It's never just my idea or my thought or Tony's or Gary's. Now, they give ministry leaders and myself parameters that we can make decisions about in a daily basis. They're not, we're not into, as an elder team, we're not into micromanaging, but we want to make sure that overall we're staying on track with what Scripture says, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and accomplishing the mission that God has provided for this church. So qualified biblical leadership is an important function of the church. Church discipline. Nobody likes to talk about this one much. Church disciplines. And it's not to be able to kick people out. It's actually for resolution and restoration. That is the primary goal and purpose of church discipline. If you are a parent, you know what I'm talking about. You don't discipline your kids just to get back at them and get after them and remind them about how big and smart and tall you are versus where they're at. No, it's to help them grow and learn. Help them become who God desires and wants them to be. So you just don't know yet. God also disciplines those he loves. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. That he doesn't just be like, ah, oh, you blew it, you're out. No, he lovingly rebukes and disciplines and sometimes he uses the church to do this. And then missions and evangelism is another function. And again, that's the great commission. commission. It's for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ, to make myself clear, what I'm talking about is Christ's birth, his sinless life here on earth, his willing and humble submission to go to the cross in our behalf, our sin and rebellion required this kind of payment as we sang about and come behold the wondrous mystery. Him going and then him defeating death, rising again and standing as our mediator before God and us. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He died so we wouldn't have to. It's by his grace and his love that we are saved, not because of anything we've done. So when it comes to the local congregations wearing the forms, if you will, to go back to that clothing illustration, of the functions of the church, based on the communities and cultures, these forms are going to look different. Our forms could look different than First Baptist down the road could of this. Our forms could look different than uh, First Christian, or it could look different than Split Log, or it could look different than uh, a church in Bella Vista. That's okay. It doesn't mean they're right, or we're right, or they're wrong, or we're wrong. I think there are multiple congregations for reasons. Only about 15% of our county actually are committed to going on a regular basis to a Bible-centered, gospel-preaching church. 15% in McDonald County. 
And we sometimes scratch our heads and wonder why there's so many churches. That's why. Now, some churches, when it comes to operating out of the functions and through the forms, can be nearsighted in how they go about it. In other words, they're inward-focused only. They're more concerned with the, the inside of the walls and inside that church body, loving God only and loving each other only. The holy heddle uh, comes to mind when you think about this. Neglecting to go out. Other churches can be farsighted. They can only be thinking about going out and neglect the needs of the body. And that's off balance as well. By God's grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ transforming the lives of the leaders and members of a local congregation, they will be bifocused. I don't know if that's a word, but it works here, right? Work with me. Bifocused. In other words, they're able to adjust to what the members of that specific local congregation need to be discipled and equipped for ministry, as well as actively going and sending those members to evangelize and minister to the lost in the surrounding community and world beyond. In a perfect world, our budget someday will reflect that. Thinking long-term here. Tony did a great job of sharing where we're at and what we are, but I mean, if you want to see the goals and what somebody truly finds important, you track the money, right? Track the money of where they spend it. You'll see what's really important. That's why we're doing everything we can to right that, decreasing that overhead cost and increasing the missions and ministry parts so that we can be more balanced with where our money goes, not just in what we're saying. So I'm going to next, as we transition through our time here, I want to share with you, in case you don't know, some of the areas, some of the forms that this specific church accomplishes the functions of the church. And I'd like you to do me a favor. I'd like you to analyze in your experience. If you're a guest, you know, obviously, you're not going to be able to do this very much. But if you've been here a while, I would love your feedback. My email's on the communicator, the front page, bottom, I think, is where it's at. If you have thoughts on if we're more nearsighted or more farsighted, or if you think we're balanced or moving towards balance, if it's just negative and you don't sign it, I'm going to throw it in the trash, okay? But if it's constructive feedback and you're willing to sign your name to it of, hey, here's where I see us. Here's some things I think we might be able to think about and do. It doesn't mean we can do them all, obviously. But I'm open to that. I want to hear it. Your opinion matters. Again, unless it's only just trashing everything about it and you're not willing to put your name on it. I'm going to throw that in the trash. That's a good rule of life, by the way, for everybody. If somebody has lots of critiques and they're not willing to uh, sign it, it's not worth your time. Okay, jumping into our forms that we do here. We have a weekly worship gathering. Duh. We're here, right? We're all here together. We do this every Sunday at 1030 by God's grace, unless the ice keeps us home. We've had to miss two in my two years here. And during this time, we make it a point that we pray together. We make it a point that you hear teaching from God's word. We make it a point to sing together. 
We make it a point to practice communion. We do that once a month. And baptism as we have the blessing and honor of getting to, to participate and celebrate in that together. We have a hospitality team that serves here as well on Sunday morning. They're the folks who help us have the food when we have fellowship meal. They're the folks that help us have the coffee and the snacks out every Sunday. They're the folks that greet you at the door. They're the folks that hand out the communicators when you come in, help you find your way around if you don't know your way around. That takes quite a few people. The people who serve in these teams are probably people you know their faces at least, if not their names, because you see them week in and week out, and they do a fantastic job. They do a great job, and I'm so grateful for them. I also think there's several of us that can also join them in that. Life groups, lead, host, or participate in one. All three. (laughs) We have life groups to help foster discipleship and fellowship. Opportunities to get to know each other, again, centered and focused on God's word and what he desires and wants for us to know and learn and grow in, but that that's where you really have that opportunity to build those relationships. Some meet in homes during the week. Some meet here on campus on Sunday mornings. Did you know that we have about five small different variations of discipleship groups? And what I mean by five is I mean like four or less. Four or less. And I know more than half of them are going through verse by verse book of the Bible. I would love for every single person here to experience that at some point. I'm not going to force you into it. It takes a commitment to do this. And it's not like six weeks. It's 12 months, 18 months. There's also about 10 different life groups, variations of, that that meet together. We also have Bible studies and classes on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. Uh, Interrupted expectations. Uh, My wife and I are teaching this right now. It's a grief support class. Uh, We're meeting this afternoon, by the way. Make sure everybody who's in there knows that. Grab your plate, meet us in the classroom. (laughs) But then Wednesday nights, Doug teaches a class there. Sunday mornings, um, there are other things. We've had a marriage class that Paul and Lori Horner have taught, two or three rounds of that. And then, like I said earlier, we'll be launching a membership class as well. These are education opportunities. You'll get to build relationships in it, but these formats are more about learning and growing in specific areas of your Christian life. We have family ministries, which in family I'm including children and student ministries. We have folks serving our body right now down this hallway, loving on your kids, keeping them safe, telling them about Jesus. We have people that serve here on Wednesday nights from preschool through 12th grade loving on the kids telling them about Jesus in age appropriate ways we have some amazing amazing leaders that do this and we always need more and I'm a dad of six so I get it if you're a parent that needs, to, that needs your kids to be watched, we are all for that. That's why we do that. At the same time, I think there's a lot of us here that can step up and help in this area, loving on these kids. If 10 of us are helping out in one classroom, you're only up once every 10 weeks, right? It's not a big deal. 
But more importantly, you are getting to be an integral part of discipling the next generation. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. And as you know, if you know me at all, I love it when kids are in service with us. I'm so grateful for that. If a kid cries in here, it's not going to bother me. Like I said, I've had dad of six. I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> if it's bothering you, check your heart. Check your heart. I really don't think Jesus would run somebody out of the room because their kid's crying. Missions, locally, we have Angel Tree that we host here. We support cross lines and volunteer there. We're forming relationships to encourage and help promote fostering in our community as that's needed. Abroad, we have Adult and Teen Challenge that we regularly support. Uh, we're beginning a new relationship with CareNet, the Crisis Pregnancy Center in Neosho. A lot, of ki- a lot of young ladies go up there to Neosho because it's the only one in our area. Internationally, I mentioned Brian and Cassie Phillips earlier. They're with Surge. Uh, we support Pioneer Bible Translators. Uh, we also are developing some new relationships as well that we're hoping to highlight and promote at our missions conference coming up. And then there's the administration part. God's given us this building. We have a responsibility to take good care of it. It should never trump missions or ministry, but we also shouldn't neglect it. That's where we have opportunities to serve, whether it's painting or fixing things or helping with the parking lot. As I'm sure you noticed as you came in, I hope nobody needs new tires or suspension because of that. But every time it rains, that's what it does. (laughs) Someday, someday when the building's paid off, we hope to do something more about that parking lot. But we want to get out of that debt before we incur more large expenses like that. Printing, printing of the communicators. That's not a magic snap of anybody's fingers. Somebody's got to do that. Um, We also have help with finances and different things like that. You see, I am convinced there is no greater joy on earth than when we serve Christ by serving his church from the overflow of our relationship with him. And like I said last week, I also think that our commitment to our church is our second most important commitment that we can make in our relationships on earth, second to our spouse. It is the second most important commitment we can make. God is going to call and ask each of you to participate in a different way. Not every one of us can be the hand or the foot or the kneecap or the armpit or the whatever else of the body. But it takes all of them. It takes all of them. We are better with you here. We are better with you committed. We feel it when you're not. We really do. It's important. If you're sick, if you're traveling, absolutely. We're not a cult. We're not like, you got to be here every week. We're checking attendance. You get demerits. <laughs> it's not that way. My family's been sick. We've had to miss. We have times where we get to travel a little bit and go on vacation. So we're all for that. I just don't see how we're not going to be held accountable for our commitment to Christ's bride someday. 
That's what he loves and what he came and died for. So this morning, we're going to transition to a time of communion, practicing one of these functions. And our form of that looks a little different maybe than others, but that's okay. We have the elements set up in the four corners of the room. See? So we've got two in the back and two in the front. And when it's time, we ask that you would just make your way there quietly, respectfully, um, and grabbing your elements to come back to your chairs as we'll take them together. Uh, this is a time to examine ourselves. This is a time to be reflective. This is a time to ask God to be glorified yet again through us. Is there anything in my life I'm willingly choosing to do that's hindering you from using me in any way, Lord? And there are two parameters of celebrating the Lord's Supper that I believe that Scripture tells us about. One, you must have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. One, you must know Him as your Lord and Savior. So parents, as tempting as it is to give your kids a little snack because they're wanting it, if they don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior yet, it's okay to tell them no. It's worth waiting for. We don't want to set a precedent of them taking it too soon and too early and not realizing the, the significance and the value of it. The second thing is, is if we are living in intentional, unrepentant sin, intentional, unrepentant sin, I just don't see in Scripture where it's okay to remember what He's done for that sin while knowing when you leave here, you're going to go do it again. But praise be to God, He delights in forgiving those who repent. It's not a place of being stuck forever. Repent. Mean it. If you're stuck in a place and feel like you can't get out of it, talk to me. Talk to me after. Not so I can shame you. So I can encourage you and pray for you and perhaps guide you towards some resources to help you take steps towards moving out of that. Let me pray. And after I finish praying, uh, the guys are going to play a video on the screen behind me. And uh, at that time, you'd be welcome to get up and get the elements. Heavenly Father, God, you've, you've given us the functions of how you want your bride, your church, to fulfill its calling, the calling that you've given it of the great commandment and the great commission. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength and wisdom and your grace that we need to accomplish this in the forms that you've shown us. I pray, Lord, that we'd be sensitive to your leading if you desire for us to change any of those forms so that we can better serve you and better glorify you. Lord, right now, if there's anything in our lives, God, I pray that you would bring it to mind that might hinder us from being 
in fellowship with you. Thank you, God, that you forgive. Thank you for your mercy that knows no ends. Jesus, as we move towards remembering your death because of our choices, to the best of our abilities, let us give us peace.